in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Listening to Outer Brightness, a podcast for post Mormons who are drawn by God to walk with Jesus rather than turn away. Outer Brightness, Outer Brightness, Outer Brightness, Outer Brightness. There's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth here, except when Michael's hangry, that is. Welcome to the first episode of the Outer Brightness podcast. We're three guys who were previously members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah more commonly referred to as the Mormon faith. All of us have left that religion and have been drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. Some might consider us sons of perdition, the inheritors of outer darkness, who supposedly knew the truth and rejected it. The name of our podcast, Outer Brightness, reflects the Gospel of John chapter 1 in the Bible, specifically verse 9, which calls Jesus the true light which gives light to everyone. We have found life beyond Mormonism to be brighter than we were told it would be, and the light we have is not our own. It comes to us from without, thus outer brightness. Making the transition from Mormonism to broader Christianity can be exciting, scary, confusing, challenging, invigorating, and ultimately life-giving. Our aim here is to share our journeys of faith and what God has done in our lives in drawing us to his Son. We'll have conversations about all aspects of that transition, the fears, the challenges, the new beliefs, surprises, and joys. We're glad you found us, and we hope you'll stick around. The zeitgeist of the moment is the idea that we are living in a post-truth world, the idea that objective facts either cannot be known or are less important than personal truth or feelings. Sometimes people refer to my truth or your truth to suggest that there is no objective reality, but rather only what each of us perceives to be true. Within Mormonism, the idea of truth reigned supreme. Mormons had it and wanted to share it with the rest of the world, while all others, who were not Mormon, had some portion of it, but not the fullness. I'm a Gen Xer. I'm in that group of people who were in their teens and early 20s when the internet went live for the general public. Dial up and slow downloads. When I first began discussing my religion online back in 1999, there was a lot of optimism about what this new medium could do for communication between people of different backgrounds. Only a few doomsday prophets suggested that it could be detrimental to the very idea of objective truth. My fall down the rabbit hole began with an attempt to be a missionary for my faith. 
I had been a full-time Mormon missionary in Hungary for two years from 1997 to 1999. When I returned to the U.S., I moved to greater Cincinnati area, married and began working for an insurance company. I tried to share my Mormon beliefs with one of the security guards in the building where I worked. She was a kind, older African-American lady named Charlotte. We would talk and discuss religion for a few minutes each day. I gave her a copy of the Book of Mormon and sent her a pair of full-time missionaries to begin meeting with her. It looked as if my missionary efforts were paying off. After several weeks of lessons, she handed me the copy of the Book of Mormon that I had given her and a packet of printed pages from various websites. She told me that she had spoken with her pastor and that he had told her that the Mormon religion was racist. I appealed to my own conduct with her. She asked me if I was aware that black people were not allowed to hold the LDS, LDS priesthood until 1978. I told her that I was aware of that. She asked if I was aware of any of the other things about my church that were represented in the materials that she had handed me. I told her that I would have to look into them, but that anyone can post anything on the internet, and that doesn't make it true. In this episode, I and the other Sons of Light discuss what it's like to stare down that scary question, what if Mormonism isn't true? I'm Paul Bunyan, he's Matthew the Nuclear Calvinist, and he's Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist. Let's get into it. So in the intro, I outed myself as a Gen Xer. Um, Michael, which cohort group do you fall into? Well, it's funny that you you ask because, you know, I guess technically I'm a millennial, but I didn't know that until a couple months ago. So it's like I spent, you know, all this time making fun of millennials and then look what happens. Um I don't really self. <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> I don't really self-identify as a millennial, but that's kind of a millennial thing to do, I guess. So, yeah, I guess that's where I fall. Wait, so not self-identifying as a millennial is a millennial thing to do, or or identifying as a millennial is a millennial thing to do? I, I think just self-identifying as something that you're not is a millennial thing to do. Oh, okay. But no, I, I think of myself as like a generation Xer, even though I guess I'm not one. All right. What about you, Matthew? Yeah, I'm a millennial. I mean, unless if they've changed the decades or something, they keep shifting those uh, those years. But um, yeah, I'm I'm a millennial as well. Okay. Cool, cool. So we got a Gen Xer and two millennials even though one didn't know he was and wants to pretend to be a gen xer which is a millennial thing to do yeah okay <laughs> got it he was a millennial before he knew he was a millennial that's pretty hipster right there yeah before it was just cool like, to be a millennial <laughs> just like he was a christian before he knew he was a christian right yep <clears throat> all right so so next question do you think that that one's status as a member of a particular social cohort might affect the way that one reacts when deconstructing Mormonism? Uh, I think, I think absolutely, you know, just the way that, that different generations view the Mormon church is so different. Like I remember being active in, 
and hearing baby boomers say things like, oh, you can't wash dishes on Sunday. And I'd be like, wait, what? Like, where did that come from? And I, I feel like every generation, it's a different Mormonism that you're dealing with. And for me, you know, growing up, truth was pretty static. And so I felt like if somebody challenged me really hard on just one issue, it would be enough if they challenged me hard enough and it was a core belief, they could actually make the whole thing crumble just from one point. But I feel like these days, a lot of Mormons, you know, have doctrinal walls made out of jello. And it's kind of like, you know, they pull truth from anywhere they want to. And you can't approach it the same way. You almost have to take down the whole thing at the same time. And it's a lot harder to deconstruct it now than it used to be. That's just how I feel about it. Like you said, I think it's it's not just a generational thing. I think it's also, well, of course, it's a cultural thing because we always make the distinction between, you know, quote unquote, Utah Mormons and Mormons from outside Utah. And, you know, I think I think you might both might agree that, well, you know, I think, Michael, we're, we're the only ones that were from Utah, right? You, you weren't from, U, from Utah, right, Paul? Uh, actually, I am. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, born and raised. I'm, a, I'm actually from Texas. I didn't really spend any time in Utah. Oh, man, I had him flipped. Man, my memory. But, yeah. You, you, but, Paul, so is Paul, you probably had this experience between missionaries where they would say, oh, you're a Utah Mormon, you know, amongst all the other missionaries, and then they suddenly look at you differently. Yeah, of course. Yep. So there's there's that aspect, too. But, yeah, I, I absolutely do think that there's a generational aspect to how you experience Mormonism. And I was just thinking when, when Michael was talking that just the fact that we call it Mormonism and that we call ourselves ex-Mormons and use the term Mormon is is a generational thing because there's so many... Latter-day Saints now that say we're not Mormons anymore stop using that word right because that's what their prophet asked them to do so just the fact that we even use that terminology is just a sign that that we are from a different time I guess yeah that's true um, so as a millennial are there ways in which you think you processed uh, your deconstruction of Mormonism differently than say um, someone from Gen X or someone who's a baby boomer? Um, I would say that I did. I I think I was kind of coming from this place, you know, kind of being in the middle of two generations almost, where the doctrine was super important to me, but then there were social aspects of the church that were beginning to become important to me as well. And so it wasn't just finding out that there were parts of the doctrine that were wrong, but then kind of seeing things that the church did that were, that was hurting people. It really had an effect on me that I don't know if it would have done the same thing with an older generation. Hmm. Sorry. Do you want me to go ahead? Yeah, I had a, I had a similar experience um, to you, Michael. So even though, uh, you know, you're technically a, a millennial. Um, I, I don't think there's too many too many years difference between us, right? So, remind me how old you are. Uh, Thirty five. That's right. So yeah, there's only six years between us, so we're we're fairly close. Um, 
in age. And so it's not like, uh, you know, a 20 year difference. And, and, you know, what you said about, you know, the doctrine being super important, you know, I remember, um, you know, when I was on my Mormon mission, people were still passing around, you know, Bruce R. McConkie's seven deadly heresies talk and, um, you know, that definitely the doctrine was, was such a focal point when I was, uh, you know, growing up in my Utah wards and, um, it just doesn't seem the same now. And I think that, um, I think that similar to you, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think I, you know, when I, when I look at the social cohorts, I'm, I'm kind of like right on the edge of that, right at the end of Gen X. And so, um, I may kind of straddle that line as well. Uh, but you're right. There was, there were some social things going on within uh, the LDS church and within broader uh, society within the United States and around the world that, um, you know, between like the years 2000 and, and maybe like 2012 really shifted the way the church was, was approaching some social issues and, and you're right, did some things that, that hurt people. Um, and yeah, that, that, uh, definitely was important to me as well and impacted the way I process things, I think. What about you, Matthew? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've kind of not always been a Mormon. Well, I wasn't always a Mormon my whole life. So I was kind of rediscovering Mormonism for myself. And so I was kind of learning about it from books. I was reading a lot of textbooks, you know, or a lot of books from Bruce R. McConkie from, from Joseph F. Smith, from um, James Talmadge. And so I was learning about these traditional doctrines, and I think there's the older generations probably really held to those doctrines, as Michael is explaining. They they really kind of clung to, to those traditional orthodox teachings. But uh, as time has gone on, it's Mormonism has definitely evolved, especially after the President Gordon B. Hinckley was the leader of the LDS church. He's, he's really grew that church to be an international worldwide church. And with that, it's, it's kind of morphed into, into something more socially palatable, I guess you could say, where, like you said, like the traditional Orthodox Mormon doctrines are kind of hidden or they're de-emphasized in lieu of trying to appear more Christian. And so with, with this change, it seems like with the social changes, like you've said, it seems like millennials are very open to acceptance. They're very open to new information. They're very interested in, in having knowledge or asking questions. And so, and with the LDS church releasing all of these articles and information, that's all available to us now. And, and Latter-day Saints have to deal with that knowledge in some way. So the millennials are really, they're really thirsting, I think, for some kind of answers but the way that they deal with the information and come to their own conclusion is is different for every one of us. So I hope, I hope that answers your question. You know, there was something that you made me just kind of jump, jump into my mind, Matthew, while you were talking. And that is just, it seems like these days, there's such a tendency for Latter-day Saints to just kind of be cafeteria Mormons and just kind of, accept what they want to and throw out the things that they don't want to believe in. 
and it almost seems like however many members there are of the church right now, that's how many denom- denominations there are. Like each person holds to their own unique viewpoint, and it's just completely different from from before. Where you know, it seems like when I was growing up, we were emphasizing that the church was true, and that's why it was so important to be a member of the church. And and now it's shifted to. Well, the church does good things. The church is a good social entity, and a lot of those things are being de-emphasized, like the great apostasy and, uh, you know, what God supposedly told Joseph Smith about all the churches being an abomination in His sight. You don't hear that like you would have in the past, right? And yeah, you know, I think I think what's been interesting to me um, in in seeing some of the ways that. Uh, millennial Mormons uh, engage online because you know one one thing that our listeners should know is that the three of us met online um, in various Facebook forums where where we discuss uh, Mormonism and Christianity and differences and um, basically work at at evangelism to Mormons uh, online and one of the things that surprised me about some of the Millennial Mormons is that. Uh, although there's this, there's been this social shift uh, for them that is very prominent in the way that they approach their Mormonism. Um, there's still this like rabid clinging to the idea that it's true, right? That it is the one true church, and they are a part of it, and they are. Uh, a chosen generation, and it's important for them to have that identity as Mormon um, and as part of the true uh, religion that 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 has been handed down from God. And so, uh, I, th- I, th- I thought that's interesting because you know they they tend to have uh, sort of a postmodern approach to uh, truth in general, and yet uh, among some, and I, and I don't want to get into talking about any individuals. Um, but I just think it's been it's been interesting to me to watch that that happen uh, among certain individuals. And that um, I think that clinging, uh, at least for me, I can definitely uh, relate to it as I went through my transition out of Mormonism. Um, I re- redefined what Mormonism was for me in many ways. Uh, and yet uh, there was still the desire to cling to this idea that it was true. So. That's really what we're talking about today. So that kind of brings us to the next question. What was what was your experience of reaching the realization that Mormonism wasn't true, Michael? For me, it was a couple of things, but I remember this one defining moment where, you know, uh, they came out with the was it the November policy, saying that children of gay parents couldn't be baptized and. And I really had issue with that doctrinally because, you know, the article of faith said we believe men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. And uh, and it really for me, it was more of a uh, in the realm of just, you know, mental thinking, an abstract disagreement that I had with the church. But then and then I realized that people were committing suicide over the policy that there had been several uh, young Latter-day Saints that had that had taken their own lives, and that really that really hit home for me. 
um, I felt like I could see something that I hadn't been able to see before, and that was that the plan of happiness wasn't making anybody happy, that it was causing people to be miserable. And and I, I just felt like I could see something, and it was so obvious, but nobody else around me could see the problems with with the church and the, the pain that it was causing. And so really that's what, what opened my eyes. And from there, it just became more and more obvious that it wasn't, that it wasn't God's church. Yeah, good. Matthew, what about you? What was your experience like? So the moment that I realized that the church wasn't true, well, it, it was after a long struggle with many of the different facets of church history and doctrine changing and all these different things. You know, I, I thought this was going to just be a faith crisis that I could overcome and I would be stronger in my testimony. But I, but there was just a point where I just kept dive, I just kept diving into the the teachings and the writings, and I just was just finding answers, but they were opposite of what I was hoping for. And I can remember where I was approximately on the campus when I when I just when it just I just couldn't believe it anymore, and I just felt like I had a mental breakdown. It's like everything that you thought you worked for, and were fighting for, and, and you know taught as a missionary for two years. It was it was a very disconcerting experience. It was, it was, it was really painful, but um, it was it was just the culmination of a lot of different things that I had read and thought about and tried to mull over. And uh, to me, if if this is God's church, it has to be logical. You know, God God is not going to act in an illogical way. And so when He teaches one thing to a previous prophet and and contradicts it with a succeeding prophet, that just didn't make sense to me. So it was it was it was a really difficult time, but but um, but I think it, but as far as the experience goes, it was an experience that that I know that God had, had led me to. But uh, as it was difficult because uh, it was who can you talk to about that? You feel like you feel like you're you're betraying your people, you're betraying your family with that experience. So it was a very lonely time as well. Yeah, definitely. I I can definitely resonate with that. So the weekend that uh, Angela, my, my wife and I decided that we were going to stop attending the LDS church um, and and actually go outside and start looking uh, around our area for other, other churches that we might attend. Uh, um, that weekend, uh, you know, you, you use the term uh, mental breakdown, and I, I can totally uh, get that because that's what it was like. I remember uh, just going into our room and, and laying on the bed and, and just having all of this emotion kind of flow out of me. Um, and, you know, one of our teenage daughters came in and, and you know, laid down next to me and was kind of concerned and wondering what was going on. And, um, you know, it was, it was difficult to try to explain to her what uh, – what that was like to have all of that pressure and and kind of built up um, frustration of of trying to believe and trying to force myself to believe, even though uh, like you, Matthew, I'd done all of the the study and, and deconstruction through LDS Church history and uh, you know Book of Mormon archaeology and Book of Abraham and all of that uh, over more than a decade, um, that, that final point of saying, okay, 
it's enough and we're going to, we're going to do something else, uh, was still very, very difficult and very painful. Um, so definitely feel you there. Did you have something else you wanted to say, Michael? Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I'm having sympathy pains for you guys right now. Cause it just reminds me of, of how that felt. You know, it's, it's just something completely, some com- completely different. You can't, you can't explain it almost. Uh, yeah, I spent so much time just defending the church, you know, online and arguing in support of it. And then, and then I found out that it wasn't true. And I would, uh, even within the last year from leaving, I'd wake up sometimes like having almost a panic attack, you know, wondering, you know, what's real, what isn't. You know, am I still a Mormon? Did I actually leave? Like, did that really happen? And the closest thing I can compare that to, not that I've experienced it, but I think it's like recovering from a drug addiction. It, it's just, uh, you, you know, you lose your, your entire personality. Our identity, I mean, is tied up in, in this church. And so when you leave, everything gets called into question. And I mean, I remember just having these crazy dreams after I left too. Like I had this one where I was giving a presentation in a Mormon ward and somebody asked me, you know, if the prophet could supersede scripture. And I said that he couldn't, and we needed to test what he said by the scriptures and everybody stood up and they started calling me a heretic and basically drove me out and it was it was really tough because you know i still view them like they're my family but at the same time i've I've just become an outcast yeah the, the loss of relationships is tough um for sure did uh did you experience any of that matthew loss of relationships um yeah well <clears throat> when i when i'd come to that realization that i felt that the church wasn't true I, you talk about your shelf collapsing, you know, you put your shelf up and you, you put the items on the shelf that you don't quite understand. Well, that, that mental breakdown is when your shelf collapses. And after that, I, I kind of tried to pick up the pieces and try to put it back together and try to make sense of everything. And so I, I started kind of going back to church a few months after that to try to say, well, you know, maybe I can just, like you said, become a cafeteria Mormon. Maybe I can just reject what I don't like and I can keep what I like. Um, and part of that was because at the time I, when I moved out to New York for graduate studies, I was engaged. So I was, I was preparing for the wedding day in the summer of that year. And, uh, when I, when I had my, my, my mental breakdown, my collapse, I, I just texted her. I sent her, I sent my fiance a text message and I said, I'm sorry, I just can't do this anymore. And, and that was about all I could, that's about all I could type out because I was just so distraught. And then I turned my phone off for the next few days, I think, and just kind of went into my own little little corner. And so after that, I turned my phone back on and found out that, you know, the engagement was off and and uh, that wasn't going to work out. And and um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that that didn't work out because it would have been much more difficult if if we had gone through with the marriage and I tried to leave later. But um as far as other friendships, you know, I, I started attending the ward out here in New York, and so I didn't, I didn't really have any other friends, or I don't have any family here, so they were my only support network that I had. Really, was my my ward, 
And as you both know, the LDS Church is great at getting people integrated and feeling loved and needed. And so I was feeling very, I felt a lot of communion, a lot of fellowship with the people here. So when I stopped, you know, when I finally came to the realization that I just don't want to attend the church anymore, you feel very cut off and you lose those friendships and those connections. And, and, you know, I, I, I lost out on, um, on the marriage. So, but I'm very grateful that, um, my family has been, um, relatively understanding. So I, I still have my family relationships to an extent. Some of them are, might be a little bit strained, but, but, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I think everybody has those those relationships or friendships that they that they that they fear they're going to lose when they when they come to a knowledge that the LDS Church isn't what it purports to be. It's it's a very real fear. Mm-hmm. What other fears did you have, Michael, about life after Mormonism? Uh, a lot of it was was fear of the unknown. I didn't I didn't understand what Christian culture was going to be like. And so it was definitely a step in the dark as far as that was concerned. But the thing that I was afraid of the most was losing my wife and my child. Uh, I'd seen horror stories where people left the church and then it resulted in divorce. And I was so afraid of that that I didn't tell my wife when I left the church initially uh, she ended up finding out because the sister missionaries came to my house and left a note while I was away. And then she read it. And then I came home and she said, we needed to talk. And at first she was supportive, but eventually it did fall apart. And uh, that was something that I, I, I'd say that was my greatest fear about leaving the church and that I would lose my family relationships. But luckily, aside from the marriage, uh, all my other friendships and my family relationships stayed intact. Um, I was really scared to tell my family. I didn't tell them for about six months after I left the church because I was just that horrified to tell them. I thought that I was going to be disowned or they were going to hate me. And they ended up finding out on Christmas Eve uh, by watching a video on YouTube. <laughs> it was it was really awkward. Uh, but overall everything everything else was was okay. Yeah. I I can't tell you how uh, and I've, I've told you this before, Michael. I, you know, you and I um, were in contact throughout that time and um, you know just how much I praise God for bringing you through that. Um, I know how difficult it was for you from the conversations that we had and um, just kind of how touch and go it was. And uh, just just got to give all, all praise and glory to God for his goodness. Um, I know he's brought you to a place that uh, you probably didn't see a few years ago. Um, and I just think it's incredible. Oh yeah, there was there was a point there where I didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel and I was literally you know asking God like why did you save me out of Mormonism? Like was it just to abandon me? You know, like I was kind of feeling that way and I think he just let me get all the way to the breaking point before he healed me just to show me 
that he was all I needed, that he was sufficient, and that he could take care of me no matter where I was. And, you know, I'm in a great relationship now. I'm married to a Christian woman, and I couldn't be happier. So, yeah, I never saw this coming. Amen. Praise God. So in thinking about fears that I had about leaving Mormonism, um, definitely resonate with you, Michael, on on the fear of, of losing your family. Um, you know, part of my story on that, Michael, and, 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 you know, each of us will be sharing more of our story in, in other episodes. Um, so I won't get too far into that now, but I think one of the biggest fears that I had was that I was wrong, um, that somehow, uh, in all of my studies, on all, all of my efforts to understand, uh, Mormonism, uh, its teachings, its history, uh, whether or not it was true that somehow in my conclusions, I was wrong. And that plagued me for a long time. Uh, in fact, I would say the the first, first realization that I had um, that Mormonism wasn't true was probably uh, around 2001, uh, maybe spring of 2001, uh, after my son was born. And... Um, you know, we didn't leave as a family until May of 2010. So there were a lot of years there where I I dealt with uh, kind of a crippling fear that that I was wrong, and and you know, it led me to do more study and and more uh, learning. But um, and of course I was you know working through uh, uh, schooling for uh, my business degree and, and and raising a family, so it wasn't all uh, just um, you know, focused on uh, studying Mormonism, but uh, I think there was there was that fear of being wrong that uh, kept me there longer than maybe it should have. Um, what about you, Matthew? Any other fears you want to touch on before we we move on to better things? What you said, Paul, about fearing that you were wrong, I think that resonates really strongly with me because. I like to think that I'm a fairly logical person. So just the thought that you know, we were taught as Latter-day Saints, and I'm not sure if they really emphasize that anymore because, like we've said, it's ch- the doctrine is changing constantly, that the only people who are eligible for outer darkness are former Latter-day Saints, people who have received sufficient light that they, when they turn away from it, that they'll be condemned. So there's always that thought in my mind, what if I'm wrong, you know, I, if I'm wrong, then it's possible I have enough light that maybe I will go to outer darkness. I don't know. So that was, that was probably, outside of the fear of losing friends and family, I think the fear of just being wrong and just standing before God and realizing that I was wrong, that, that, just, that just terrified me. Yeah, amen. I was, <laughs> I was so afraid of being wrong that I didn't even know that I was afraid of being wrong because I couldn't acknowledge that that was a fear that I had. I had to stand there with my eyes wide shut, so to speak. And I was just like, I don't care, even if it is wrong. Like, I'm never going to leave the church under any circumstances. I was like, even if the prophet and the apostles, like, abandon the church and there's only one congregation left on earth, I am going to be in that congregation. I am not going to fall away. And those were my famous last words.
righteousness and hope that I was worthy of the blood that Jesus shed. But now I know that all the works I did were meaningless compared with Jesus' lonely death on the cross where he bore sin. And now I have the righteousness that is by faith in Jesus. of the crowd. 